Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Campaign Diary podcast. Thank you all for coming and listening. This is essentially going to be my campaign diary. I'm just going to talk about what happened in my D&D campaign, what I think went right, what I think I did wrong, etc. Things that I'm basically learning, and through that, hopefully I can teach you guys a thing or two about running Dungeons & Dragons games. While I think Tabletop Tavern Tips is a wonderful series, and I'm definitely going to continue doing it, and definitely going to continue giving advice through that format, I think that just talking about a D&D campaign and examples of what can go right and what can go wrong in an actual game is a great way for people to learn how to play Dungeons & Dragons, both as a player and as a DM. So I'm hoping that I can give some sort of advice through this series that I just can't do with tabletop tavern tips just because of the tip format and the list format doesn't lend itself to that kind of thing. So yeah, new podcast to talk about my D&D campaign. I really hope you enjoy it. Timestamps are in the description. Sit back and relax. You're listening to The Campaign Diary. Alright, let's start with player characters. Flint Strider, a human ranger corsair subclass, who is essentially a pirate with a heart of gold, with a little bit of gunslinger thrown in there as well. Taklak, a kobold wild magic sorcerer, who is on a religious quest to make Bahamut, the god of justice, proud. Desna and Escafay, two Air Genasi twins that are played by twins in real life, they're monk and rogue respectively, and they have set out to cleanse the chaos from the land in whatever way they can. Essentially two wandering warriors, nothing wrong with that, they play great in the game. And finally, Freya Solvig, paladin of the Stormlord who has set out to cleanse the void's corruption upon the oceans, by whatever means necessary. She can be pretty intense, but is kind if you're on her good side. I love all these characters. All of them bounce off of each other really well, and the players are definitely role-playing as their characters. At the beginning of the last campaign, they were essentially saying, oh, I just want to do this, I want to do this. They weren't really role-playing, which is expected. They're all new players. But here in the second campaign, I don't know if it's experience or if it's that we're playing online now, but they are doing such a good job building a true group dynamic. I mean, it is so great. I never got to really sit back in the last campaign. I had to talk a lot because I was the really, I was really the only one role-playing, which is fine. That should be expected. When you're DMing for new players and they want to have that role-play experience, expect they're going to do a lot of talking. But here, now, I get to sit back. I get to let them take the reins, which feels really great. And watching them build out these characters and the dynamic of the group is amazing to watch. All right, so that's the group introduced. Now, what about the story itself? Well, it starts on a ship. This is a seafaring campaign, and I wanted to have an action opening. So, the ship that they're on is currently en route to Englefall, which is a city that is very, very important to the backstory of one of the player characters, the pirate Captain Flint Strider, because he lost his ship, and the man who took it is currently residing in Englefall, and very possibly his ship is there as well. So Flint is determined 
to get there. Now, Flint is also the only character who is on this ship illegally. I slowly introduced all of them, starting with Freya, who is sort of top dog around here as a paladin, and then working my way down the train, then going to Taklak, who is the ship's navigator, then Desna and Eska, who are just on board, and then finally going to Flint, who's hiding out in the food storage because he is kind of a uh, stowaway. The players had a lot of fun with this, and I think that this is a great way to introduce characters, doing it one at a time, kind of allowing them to describe their own characters. Like, whenever I got to a point where the players knew that their character was coming up next, I could see them sitting up in their chairs and getting excited. Like, that is a great thing for Dungeons & Dragons. Seeing their excitement for their characters, building up that anticipation for just describing them, that means that you're doing something right. So anyway, they're on the ship, they're heading to this city, and they don't even get there because before they do, their ship is attacked by a massive sea serpent who will be revealed to be known as Tarvaroth, the false serpent god. He is incredibly powerful and just rips the ship apart. It wasn't really a battle. The main fight was against creatures of the deep that rose up to eat whoever survived the sea serpent attack. So the first fight the party had was against some mermaids. And it was a really intense battle because they were underwater with these mermaids. And this was the first time I had used Foundry's maps. So it was the first time they had seen online maps like that. And it was really cool. We had glowing torches, mermaids everywhere. It was really neat to see them get this new experience of playing Dungeons & Dragons online. And I think it worked really well. Uh, the party got away from the mermaids and got onto like this little part of the ship that had crashed onto a bunch of rocks and the party had to brace themselves as Tarvaroth barfed up a bunch of zombies for them to fight. So they fought some ghouls, they fought a deep scion. They started at level 3, so they were definitely capable of taking on these minions. However, Tarvaroth was a bit too much for them and he destroyed the ship and took the party down to the ocean. So that's the end of the opening. Not the end of the first session, just the opening. And here we're going to stop for a little bit and just talk about how this worked, why it was good, and a couple things I don't think were very good at all. So for starters, the things that I think went really well, um, I think that the character introductions were great. I love seeing everyone get excited for their characters, describing their characters, and immediately setting up who they are by what they're doing on the ship. Like Freya is in charge. She's a leader. Sure, she's a bit stern, but she can definitely be kind. Taklak is the smart guy, he's navigating the ship, he knows what he's doing. Desna and Eska are passengers on the ship, they're just here, they're not trying to tell anyone what to do, they just want to help people, but they're not here illegally. And then finally, Flint Strider, who is a stowaway. He's a pirate, he's here, he just needs to be here, he doesn't care if he's doing it illegally or not. He immediately establishes who these characters are, they think that that is great. Now, of course, you need to talk to your players about this. Make sure you've got it right. Like, what if Flint doesn't want to be a stowaway? I had to ask Caden, the player behind Flint, like, hey, where do you want Flint on this ship? Do you think he's a stowaway? Do you think he's here legit? And Caden just responded, oh, yeah, he's in the food storage eating stuff and being a stowaway. So I thought that that was just a great answer, and I, ha I did get his permission for that opening, because if I got that wrong, that would have been really awkward. I think the escalation of the action in the opening was also really, really good. We had an easy start in the tavern opening in the last campaign, and I wanted to do something a bit more extreme, something right in the middle of the action. They go from being completely passive, just on a ship, 
bound for a city, probably going to be our starting city given its relevance to one of the player backstories, and then boom, Sea Serpent hits them, and they are thrust immediately into a very intense combat scenario. They are literally on a sinking ship battling against minions of this humongous Sea Serpent that's probably way above their pay grade. They are in a scenario that is essentially life and death, and it's right off the bat, right after you got them to describe their characters and get more attached to them, learning about the party. They don't want to die now. They're just starting their adventure. They just got excited for their characters. So it sets the tone and makes things really intense right off the bat. I mean, I think that this was a good action opening. Now, other than that, I do think that the things that went wrong happened immediately afterwards, and it has to do with prep. I was really focused on making sure that the action escalated naturally. I didn't have any de-escalation. The sea serpent hits them, and they get thrust into the ocean. They encounter some eldritch creatures from the realm of the void, which is essentially my Lovecraftian deity realm that they encountered in the first campaign, and is really relevant to the second one. It's going to be a major presence throughout because they really love the void's lore that I have developed. But unfortunately, I think that it was a letdown because I didn't really prepare what they'd see down there. And I'm aware that Lovecraftian and Eldridge cosmic horror is all about the unknowable, but you do need to describe something. You can't just say, you see something beyond your comprehension. That's lame. That's, that's, how do you imagine that? A lot of players are very visual, including myself. As a DM, I'm very visual. So I need to describe something. So I was really disappointed with myself in the lack of prep I did for this moment because it's, it's pretty important. I did make up for it later, much later in the campaign, by introducing some better cosmic horror intrigue. But here, I definitely think I dropped the ball, especially since this was my first time using Foundry, and I didn't prepare the music properly. Usually, I can kind of just pull up music and play it, because when I was in person, I could just pull up a song, put it on my computer, and boom, playing music, awesome. But during the first session, I was using Foundry, and when you're using Foundry, you need to upload tracks. And I didn't have any creepy tracks uploaded, so we didn't have any creepy music for the creepy encounter. Lame. So anyway, they wash up on a beach, and now we get to the second half of the first session. The players now get to know each other and start heading towards the nearest town. This is where the party really get to use their utility skills. Flint got to use his ranger uh, primeval awareness abilities, and tracking abilities to find their way to the nearest village, which is the town of Blackwater. And this whole journey I thought would be boring. Like, okay, you track down the nearest village, and you go, start moving, great. But they didn't do that. They started talking to each other, role-playing. They encountered some gnolls who were harvesting the body of a dead leviathan for food, and the party talked to them. They didn't just fight them, they talked to them instead, which they would quickly regret because the gnolls pickpocketed one of the party members, uh, Eska, and her brother Desna started making fun of her for that, and they had a fun little roleplay bout, and it was great. I mean, this was an amazing little moment between the whole party, and it's when I realized that this is gonna be different from the in-person campaign. People are gonna roleplay here. I don't need to take point. It felt so good. So after encountering those gnolls, getting pickpocketed, fighting a little bit, they get to Blackwater, which is a fishing village 
south of the Blighted Shore, and I developed a lot of politics around this continent. The idea is that this is a lawless land, or at least a land where laws are falling away. Whereas in the last campaign, we are in the middle of a bunch of different massive kingdoms and empires, a bunch of rulers, queens, nobles. I mean, they're constantly surrounded by lawmen and guards and nobility and royalty even in the last campaign. Now I wanted to switch it up. I wanted it to be different. In this lawless land, there are only three major cities left. The rest are small towns and lawless territory dominated by pirates and outlaws. It's definitely different, and I am so excited for it. So, in this town of Blackwater, Flint convinces the rest of the group, Hey, look, you want to do good, you want to help people, you need a ship. The only way to help people in this continent is with a boat. I've got one, or at least I will have one, if you help me to fight against my enemy, a vampire named Markov who lives in Anglefall. If you guys help me, go to Anglefall, you're on my crew, we'll go around, we'll help people, we'll save lives, it'll be great. Now, I do think Flint is telling the truth here. While he is a pirate, Caden uh, did choose Chaotic Good for him, he did describe him being a good person, a heart of gold type character. Definitely not a thief. He definitely tries to help people, and I think that's what got him in trouble with Markov. I'm going to talk to Caden about this more, but I'm thinking that the fact that he was a good person, someone that tried to help others, that's what got him in trouble with this vampire pirate slash gangster, and that's what got his ship lost. So I'm wondering if that'll affect the character if we end up going through with that kind of plot line. But anyway, the rest of the party are convinced. They think that, yeah, getting a ship in this world... It's definitely important. Having a boat will allow us to traverse the terrain more easily and allow us to fight against those pesky pirates all over the open sea. However, there's a major problem. They can't get to Anglefall because a giant sea serpent is roaming the water and destroying every vessel in sight. So, they need to take care of that. They head to the mayor of Blackwater and see if he knows any information. So, Mayor Tylom, I played him as a very friendly man. I didn't want to make another evil authoritarian character because there's a lot of these in this campaign. So, I decided, hey, we're going to start it off with a nice guy because I like a good old, nice, friendly, older gentleman. And that's who we ended up being, and the party liked him. In this first session, though, I did a pretty bad job describing what he's like. He just ended up being an authoritative, nice dude with nothing else going for him. There was no other character beyond that because the concept of just being a nice guy in charge of a town is, in fact, very basic and doesn't have much going for it in the first place. And I wanted this to be a recurring character, so yeah, I had to flesh it out later. But anyway, they got their objective, which is the mayor needs them to find his arcanist. The arcanist is researching Tarvaroth, this massive sea serpent. And with the Arcanist's help, they can take the Serpent out. Now, in the second session, two party members missed it. They were absent. So we lost uh, we lost Flint and we lost Desna. So one of the Air Genasi siblings and the pirate captain, who was kind of driving them along the quest. Without those two, they were really the go-getters of the group. Without those two, they kind of got sidetracked. And I mentioned this in the QM play. But they ended up going on a completely separate quest and helping out this little girl who I, no joke, came up with 
on the spot. They were asking around town if anyone had seen where this arcanist had gone. He's a very striking figure. He's a tabaxi in this town, and there's not many tabaxi here. So yeah, tabaxi in purple cloak. Someone must have seen him leave and where he was going, and so they decided to ask around town. They rolled to see who's the nicest person, and I was like, okay, the nicest person. Who is nicer than a nice little girl selling flowers? And the entire party immediately became obsessed with her. They thought she was the greatest, cutest, most amazing thing ever. Tally, who played uh, Eska, really, really liked her. And Kyla, who played Freya, really wanted to protect her, especially since I had to come up with something. They were really adoring this character, and I didn't want her to just be a throwaway, because they clearly cared about her. And I was like, okay, let's make this into a person. I stalled for time by role-playing a little bit with some basic lines and getting them to talk about themselves, and I tried to listen to what they were saying, but I was really stalling for time, and that's really a lesson here that I'll deliver to you. Stall for time. If you need to improv something, either try to get the players to talk about their own characters or talk about their motivations, because players can go on and on and on about that, or just tell them, hey guys, can we take five? Uh, I want to grab some water or a pizza or something. Even five minutes, you can come up with some good stuff. I gave her a name, Charlotte Jessel, and I gave her a mom, a single mom, Sadie Jessel. I came up with their whole shtick and their backstory. Sadie is this crabber with some kind of past. I wanted to give her a backstory, but I knew I couldn't come up with anything good. And if I came up with something, it would probably be bad. So how about we just wait, be a little bit patient, and wait until a later session where I've got something a bit more concrete. I gave Charlotte a very basic, easy quest objective. She got her money stolen by some bully kids. Go get her money back. Easy peasy and allowed me to introduce an entirely new concept to the group. Essentially, the kids they were chasing after, they actually worked for a spy master known as the Clairvoyant, who is a part of Flint's backstory as well. I gave Flint a bunch of villains to choose from. He did not end up choosing the clairvoyant, but since I sent him the profile, I just said, okay, because you're a pirate, you are aware of this person. Obviously, Flint was not here for this session, which is a big bummer, but yeah, the party got introduced to the Spymaster character through these kids who were acting as her eyes and ears in this town, which I thought was neat. So they got the girl's money back, brought her back to her mother, they sat down with the mom, Sadie, and started talking to her and got some crab from her. It was just a really nice roleplay heavy session. They found out that Sadie, her crabbing business is suffering because of some gnolls that moved in. I was really grasping at straws here. I was like, okay, they're now invested in Sadie. I should probably come up with something that they need to do for her because they're kind of pushing towards that direction in the conversation. Like, oh, do you need anything too? And I was like, okay, great. I gotta come up with something. And I had brought up Knowles in the first session. They met a bunch of Knowles. So Knowles were on the mind here in the second session. So Knowles it is, I guess. Knowles were interfering with her crabbing business by screwing up her fishing endeavors on the shore. Because they can't go out to sea anymore because of the serpent. So they need to find crabs on the shoreline. I don't know if that's actually how crabbing works. I've never fished for crabs or whatever you call hunting for crabs. Anyway... I thought the party were just going to go out and find the gnolls and kill them, but no, the party went to a location I'm pretty proud of. It's essentially like a outpost of a bunch of suspicious figures that include like an oni and a bunch of orcs, some human mercenaries, some outlaws from the Blighted Shore, which is essentially my Wild West location, 
and the gnolls. And instead of just killing the gnolls, the party instead decided to help them instead. The gnolls wanted them to hunt down a wyvern because they want to eat it. And the party were like, yes, this sounds like a great idea. Now, what the group did not know was that a wyvern is a pretty difficult opponent for a level 3 party. So, yeah, they took the job without that knowledge, and I was thinking, oh my god, here we go. I gave them the wyvern objective because I knew at least one of them was aware of the hierarchy of monsters. Brandon, the guy who plays Taklak, he's pretty knowledgeable about Dungeons & Dragons. I never need to help him with leveling up or spells or anything. He's got it down. He doesn't use it to metagame, by the way. He definitely doesn't do that. But if his character had said something along the lines of, Oh my god, Wyvern, that seems like a powerful creature. I would have been fine with that, especially since his character is a kobold, a dragon-connected creature. Wyverns in my world are a form of draconic creature. And yeah, I don't think it would have been completely out of the blue for Taklak, this kobold, to know that Wyverns are super dangerous. But no, I guess he decided not to use that knowledge, or he just didn't know, and the party were like, yes, Wyvern. Let's go do it. So, third session comes around, Desna and Flint, their players come back, and therefore their characters come back, and they hunt a wyvern, and it's intense. The battle is definitely something, and here is where I'm going to give a lesson about running encounters that are really hard. I do think rough encounters have their place. However, I did not choose to make this encounter a difficult one or well it was difficult but not a party killer or a player killer one not one where I expect someone to die because it's the third session I don't want anyone to die now of course if they make really bad decisions and are really stupid during the fight then yes it's definitely possible for someone to die this wyvern is still tuned above them it's not going to be an easy creature to fight it was an extensive combat and they actually had some help from some outlaws on the blighted shore some uh, gunslingers and bowmen. So even with that help, they still had a difficult time taking the beast down, and it really illustrated that they are not top dog in this world. I mean, in the last campaign, they were powerful heroes. Now they're back to square one. They are having a lot of trouble with this creature that is just roaming around hunting. So I really wanted to keep that in perspective. However, at the same time, I wanted this quest to definitely be completable, and I didn't want anyone to die. So this creature was not tuned as high as it would have been if I just used the stat block in the monster manual. I tuned it down a little bit, I made it a little bit easier to fight. I gave it a cool enrage mechanic, so essentially if you did enough damage to it, it would focus its attention on you if you rolled a high intimidation check, and I had everyone roll that intimidation check because everyone was doing high damage, everyone was doing great work. So overall, good little combat there. For this session, they did need to leave their location, the Blackwater Plateau, and go to somewhere else. They went to the Blighted Shore, which is essentially like a Wild West zone. And I changed the ambience for the area. I had an ambience for Blackwater and a more Western-style ambience for the Blighted Shore. And I think this did wonders for immersion. Just changing up the ambience from location to location can make you feel like you're going to a new place. It is so important. I think music in general is really important. At this point, I had stopped using the music in Foundry because the music in Foundry sucks, quite frankly. It doesn't sync across players, which really bothers me because I like syncing what I say to music because a lot of the music I use, I have memorized. So when I'm doing a description and I can hear a crescendo coming, I can time the description to match the music and make the moment just that more epic. 
And with Foundry, I can't do that. So I started using a different application called Watch Together, which is so much better in every way. I don't know why I didn't just start with this. It is such a good website, Watch Together. Check it out. It's awesome for D&D. does wonders. But anyway, music, it's great. So on their way back, the party encountered a merchant by the name of Ether de Chevely. This man essentially gave them help on finding Sohero, the tabaxi arcanist, this mage. And through his help, they managed to, yes, locate him. But he was located in the middle of a camp of goblins. Now, I was originally just going to have them be normal goblins. But while I was describing the camp, I was like, okay, this is lame. These goblins are camped in the middle of an ancient battleground, according to the map I used. And I was thinking, okay, they're not just going to be normal goblins. Especially since this party, at this point, thanks to the Wyvern Killer, level 4. Goblins would be too easy. Let's throw something else in there. And I decided to toss a Mind Flayer in there. A nerfed Mind Flayer. A wounded Mind Flayer that has been feeding on the feeble consciousnesses of these goblins and are using them as sort of like a slave labor force to fight for it. I thought that was cool. The party had to fight off a horde of mindless goblins as well as a pretty powerful Mind Flayer. It was nerfed heavily because Mind Flayer against a level 4 party, definitely not fair. But this Mind Flayer was still formidable and still almost took out two player characters. It almost took out Desna and it almost took out Freya. So that was very much intense. The party were backed into a corner and I do find that this is a problem. Often when I start players off in a corner of the map... They stay in that corner and they do not move and they end up being trapped there and the entire combat just takes place in this tiny little area of the map instead of the huge, huge area that I have laid out for them and that just happens naturally very often. So from now on, I'm going to start placing them on just the sides or maybe even in the center just so that they can have a greater area to work with instead of these tiny corners, which happens more than necessary. Anyway, the fight was great. I do think that the fact that it was a little bit last minute that I came up with this concept, it wasn't fully fleshed out. I didn't explain why the Mind Flayer was there, and Creatures of the Void are supposed to be very, very, very scary. They're supposed to be otherworldly, even stuff like Mind Flayers, which aren't fully like Elder Gods or anything, but they should still have some kind of threat to them and weight to them. And I didn't explain why this one had fled to a goblin camp. Because I hadn't come up with a reason yet. And it was better for me to wait than to come up with a fake reason. That's another big piece of advice. Don't rush your storytelling and your world building. If you don't have a reason, don't try to come up with one on the spot. Because you are going to regret it later. Trust me. Because you'll come up with something way, way better. And then you'll think to yourself, damn it though, I already gave them an explanation. And it sucks. So I did wait. And I came up with something pretty good later on. Essentially, a greater threat had driven the Mind Flayer to flee into the highlands to avoid something near the shore in the swamps, which is where they were going, because that is the location of the Temple of Tarvarath. They grabbed Sohero, this Arcanist, who I played to be kind of confident, but at the same time sort of socially awkward. He is confident, he speaks confidently, but he doesn't really know how to be nice He's a little bit rude, but he says it in like a happy tone because he's not fully aware of all the social intricacies. So he did rub a couple of the party members the wrong way. Freya especially, she did not like him. 
but uh, the rest of the party, they found him amiable. So they headed toward the Temple of Tarvaroth, and that's where we get to session five, the final session of this arc, the dungeon crawl into the temple. And boy, this was amazing. I used Foundry's dungeon mechanics. Essentially, you can make walls and doors and stuff in Foundry, and I'm sure you can do this in other applications, but man, this was so good. The entire party were just filled with wonder the second they're in a room and they can't see the other rooms. We've been playing in person this whole time, and there's something about the players being able to open a door and see some kind of threat on the other side that makes the dungeons that I put into Foundry just that much more compelling. The entire party were legitimately scared, like people were nervous, there was tension. It was so awesome. I cannot exaggerate enough how much this helped. I honestly will probably just use Foundry during my in-person games just because it was so effective at building up this atmosphere, this tension within the group. It was amazing. So anyway, they enter into the temple and I decide to have this be a ruin. Tarvaroth, I haven't described what it looks like, but Tarvaroth is a massive serpent that has like a luminescent glow to it, almost like a ghost. And I decided, okay, it's a ghost serpent. I'm guessing that the other serpents that worship it, the Yanti that are around the temple, because yeah, snake people, Yanti, makes sense. The Yanti are also going to be undead. I found this really cool piece of like fungus snake art that I really liked. It was like an undead snake man, which was perfect. So I used that and it was like a disgusting looking thing and it really grossed the party out, which is great. That's the point. They fought off these really low level Yanti as the trash enemies and throughout the temple, they also encountered some more frightening things like poltergeist, which I reskinned to be Yanti poltergeist specter things. They gave the party a little bit of trouble, but they did manage to dispatch them, which is good. You don't want the fights throughout Dungeon to be too tiring, otherwise by the time they get to the final fight, the entire party is going to be fatigued. You want it to be thrilling, not tiring. That's the whole point of a dungeon, if it becomes just fatigue filled, the party are getting tired of trash mob fights, it's not going to be fun. The much more frightening target was a Medusa the Yanti had imprisoned in the temple years and years and years ago at this point, probably centuries ago. By this point in the timeline of my homebrew world, this Medusa had gotten free, and the party, when they opened the door and they saw a Medusa on the other side, they freaked out. It was a great moment. They immediately started bolting the door, eyes closed, the Medusa was singing a siren song I had found on the internet, which fit really well into the ambiance. Uh, the player behind Freya, Kyla, she had recognized the song and was like, oh shit, we are in trouble. We have got to get out of here. It was a great moment. They ran into the next room and it is filled to the brim with giant spiders. That reveal was even better. You got Medusa on one side, giant spiders on the other side. This moment is intense. The party need to make a split second decision. Do we chance the Medusa or do we chance the spiders? They chance the spiders and it was a pretty good fight. I do think I'd made a mistake here. The room that the spiders are in is way too small, and we have a party of five, meaning that they are going to be crammed into this tiny little room in this dungeon from um, amazing map makers, Sei and Peku. This is not custom map by me, so I didn't even think of this. So that was a problem. They entered into a side where the hallway is just like this one by five area, meaning that everyone is single file, meaning that the party is kind of crammed into this area and half of them can't fight because enemies can't walk through the party to attack. 
Essentially, this battle is going to be cramped, and that means it's going to be a little bit more difficult to manage. However, there was a really cool moment. A spider had dropped behind Freya, who is this Oath of the Open Seas paladin, and she pushed the spider through the door right into the Medusa's gaze. I made the save for the spider, and it failed by more than five, meaning that the spider gets instantly petrified, and I ruled that because she's pushing it, it got petrified in mid-air and just smashed against the wall. Rule of cool. It was so amazing. They take out spiders, they move on through the dungeon, they miss a couple of encounters, but they, they met all of the cool ones. And that's important. Don't have a route in your dungeon where all the encounters are some boring trash mob. Have cool shit in every direction your party can go in, otherwise I don't really see the point. If you have just a boring route, that is going to be lame, and you're really going to regret it because your party's going to walk past all these neat encounters that you had planned, so definitely don't do that. They got to Tarvaroth, and the reveal was revealed. I didn't bring it up earlier in the dungeon, so Harrow had disappeared, and the party had barely noticed. But at the end of the dungeon, he reappeared and revealed that he was in fact behind Tarvaroth. He was the one controlling it. The party were wondering why Tarvaroth was attacking merchant ships. This giant sea serpent is attacking merchant vessels and causing chaos in a relatively unimportant part of the sea. What is up with that? And Tarvaroth, it turns out, was controlled by Sohero the entire time, who was using him to cause chaos in the name of some grand conspiracy. However, before the overconfident tabaxi mage can do anything else, Tarvaroth emerges behind him, and during the goblin fight, I had described that some of Sohero, this tabaxi mages, I described that some of his gear had been damaged, and it turns out that some of the gear he used to control the serpents had been damaged in that fight, and the serpent just gobbled him up right there. And so, we rolled initiative. It was an intense fight. I thought they would have to run. I tuned Tarvaroth to be hard. This could possibly kill a player. This is the final boss of the arc. I usually tune these to be very difficult, even if it's the first arc. Even if it's the first arc of the campaign, I still want it to set the tone. These final bosses, these mini BBEGs if you want to call them that, they're difficult. They're hard to kill. You might not kill them on your first try. And man, this one was a doozy. He did a lot of damage and was the first creature they had encountered in this campaign with legendary actions. They were still level 4 at this point, meaning that spell slots are going to be low for some of them, especially since they had just gone through a dungeon, their health is going to be suffering, and this party, if you hadn't noticed from early in the episode, this party lacks a cleric. So they don't have any dedicated healers or many healing spells at all. They've got the paladins lay on hands some cure wounds from the ranger. That's it. And they had used a lot of that during the dungeon, so boy, this was an intense battle to the death. Tarvaroth had a mechanic where he could swallow a party member. It wouldn't just gobble you up, it would put you in its mouth, and then if you were in there for an entire round, yup, you'd get swallowed by the ghost serpent, which would be really, really bad. Luckily, no one got swallowed because staying in its mouth for an entire round is pretty difficult. Like the entire party would need to ignore you in order for that to happen. But it gave the rest of the party something to do. Like, if someone got eaten, they would need to work together to get that person to safety and get them uh, healed up. The two air genasi especially came in handy here because they could use levitate to get up there and grab someone to get them out of the serpent's mouth. So they got to use that ability pretty liberally throughout the fight. I mean, they can only use it once, 
But the fact that they got to use it all is pretty cool, considering that Levitate is one of those spells I just never used whenever I play D&D and whenever I play Spellcaster. But here, definitely useful. This was also the first creature with magical resistance, resistance against non-magical weapons. So Freya, the paladin, who didn't have a magical weapon at this point, she was kind of suffering here, along with most of the party, actually, because most people didn't have any magical weapons. The only magical weapon they had was a rifle in the possession of Flint Strider. He had gotten that rifle as a reward for killing the giant wyvern. He got the final blow on that, so he got a cool magical item I designed. It did a lot of damage, but it only had one shot and takes an attack to reload, so yeah, that sucks. The serpent was hard. I thought they would have to run, like I said. Luckily, Freya did have a marine layer, which is a feature of Oath of the Open Seas, which allows her to obscure the environment and would give them cover to run. However, when the party's considering running, uh, the player behind Desna, the monk, he said, guys, look, we are damaging him really well. Crispy has said he's bloody. Let's see this through. I think we can do this. And push the group to finish the fight, and Desna's sister, Eska, is the one who ended up getting the final blow, which was awesome. She just ripped the serpent's mouth to shreds with her blade, I believe, and shot him in the eye. It was a great moment, and taking down the false serpent freed the ocean, allowing them to head to Anglefall. They had a little bit of a celebration with the people of Blackwater, some nice character-building moments between Flint and the mayor. He actually met with him, because Flint is a really chaotic character. The mayor is a really lawful character. I thought they would hate each other, but Flint and the mayor actually ended up getting along really, really well. Uh, Desna and Eska had some cool character development with Sadie, so did Freya. Taklak did a cool shooting competition with uh, Sadie, who apparently can shoot guns. Oh, what's up with that? And also uh, Flint, who can also shoot guns. That is a bit more obvious, though. They had a cool shooting matchup where they shot at uh, clay pigeons, I think, or bags of grain. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, Flint ended up winning that, though Taklak put up a pretty good fight. It was, a, it was a great little moment of party, character building, and group bonding, especially after a traumatic dungeon experience like what they just had. So, yeah, that was the first arc of the campaign. After that, they head off to Anglefall to reclaim the ship of Flint Strider. Overall, this campaign, that was great. I am really excited for the future of it. This first arc has been awesome. I hope you guys learned something from this episode of the Campaign Diary. I am definitely going to make more of these as the campaign continues. The series will probably be monthly or maybe tri-weekly because that's about how long the arcs of my campaign last. So yeah, look forward to more of these. If you guys want to let me know that you enjoyed this first episode of the Campaign Diary, then please do leave a like. If you want to see more of my content, including my other videos and podcasts, please subscribe to Crispy's Tavern. And finally, if you're on a platform that allows you to do so, please do leave a comment. If you can't think of a comment, leave the comment, Maiden Voyage. In essence, like, comment, subscribe. I will see you all next time. Farewell. Farewell.